This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chelsea, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Guys, it's been a whirlwind, and I think I've opened our last two or three episodes with saying the last 24 hours, the last 48 hours, the last 72 hours, but Rahul, welcome back, my friend. Let's have a frank conversation today. It's going to be a crazy one. How are you doing, my friend? I am doing as good as any Chelsea fan can at this point. It's just uh, a constant change, constant chaos, constant whatever you want to call it, circus, um, Chelsea football circus, if that's what you want to go with. But I'm doing okay. I'm glad to hear you're doing okay. I'm very confused. I'm happy. I'm sad. I am wondering what this club is going to do to me in terms of my emotions. One thing that's important to note, Rahul, is we actually recorded an episode with Ben Jacobs. And we wanted to talk about the timeline of Graham Potter's removal from Chelsea Football Club. And between us editing that episode and us recording this episode, more news comes out about Frank Lampard. So why don't we pause here and listen to some of the key takeaways from the Ben Jacobs episode. And we'll come back here and talk about Frank Lampard in just a minute. Chelsea Football Club changing every, not just day, but five minutes at the moment. So obviously there's quite a lot for us to delve into. That that definitely seems to be the case. Rahul, I'll pass it over to you because I know you're eager to ask the first set of questions here. Yeah, so let, let's get right into it, Ben. Uh, you said every five minutes. So right after the game, I think you and I exchanged a couple of messages on Saturday. Uh, I was just wondering what was going on in within the club. Since then, a lot has changed. So I just want to kind of touch on the timeline since full-time against Villa on Saturday, uh, which was around Saturday evening in, in the UK. Uh, and then going into Sunday, I know you know you had said that there was nothing being reported, nothing coming out of the club about the the situation around Potter. And then suddenly, uh, Sunday afternoon for us here in in the US, the news came out. So just kind of want to get into the timeline from Saturday all the way through into Sunday when the announcement. Yeah, was obviously made. Chelsea lost the game, and Graham Potter made some decisions that put him under further scrutiny for sure. And it, in the end, became his final match because of that. And I think that the Everton draw at the beginning of this narrative was still quite significant. And we all know that Todd Bowley was caught off guard in that game, referring to it as, I won't use his exact language, but a bad performance, let's just say. And then you've got the whole international break to stew on that. So suddenly we're to an extent back into this soap opera of Graham Potter being under pressure. So then to pick the back three that he did and say that Mudrick was still effectively in a preseason and start him and not bring on Mason Mount, coupled with the loss and, again, a lack of goals in the game, plus Chelsea falling into the bottom half of the Premier League, which I think was significant as well. Bad optics, of course, about what the club stands for, even though it's ultimately only off the back of one game. I think everything added up to talks late on Saturday night, but more significantly into Sunday morning. And the thing to bear in mind is that Chelsea have got a senior leadership team. And I think that the fan base has perhaps wrongly construed Todd Bowley to be doing everything, leading on things, because he's the one that's spoken. He's the one that has the catchphrases. He's the one that's up in the stands constantly with Hollywood stars. He's the one that's down in the tunnel with a beer going towards Graham Potter. But I said this during the takeover, and I've repeated this pretty consistently, Berdagheg Bali is the one with the power at the club. And of course, we don't want to mislead anybody. It's collaborative. They constantly use that word. But don't underestimate how much influence Berdagheg Bali has. He was the one interacting with Tuchel. He was the one that, in essence, pushed to replace Thomas Tuchel. Both Bowley and Potter were the ones that were behind Graham Potter coming in. And now what's interesting and maybe a little bit different is that due to having this recruitment team, suddenly it is the football experts, Paul Wynn Stanley and Lawrence Stewart in particular, that are going to be leading. But make no mistake, Berdagheg Bali 
and Todd Bowley, but particularly Agbali, are driving a lot of the strategic thinking, both on the football side and, of course, on the business as well. And what maybe added a spanner in the works in all of this in terms of the timescale is my understanding is that whereas Agbali was in London, Todd Bowley was in America. So by Sunday morning, they're on a slightly different time zone as well, which would lend itself to decision making with everybody involved needing a little bit more time. So as of Saturday night, although there were conversations taking place, by Sunday morning, there were very senior people directly in the room and within the Chelsea hierarchy that were absolutely adamant that the Liverpool game would see Graham Potter in charge. And then, of course, things changed very rapidly from there. And it's difficult as a journalist because you report something that is accurate at the time. And as we're seeing at Chelsea Football Club, it can change very quickly and dramatically. And then people love on social media to retweet it a day later and somehow call out the narrative. But I don't see it that way because you have to paint the timeline. And if within the timeline there's a crazy twist, then you're accurate to report the crazy twist. And I think back to Mikhailo Mudrik and plenty of my colleagues were speaking about Chelsea not wanting to pay that money, not wanting to hijack. And then they did. And those people were not wrong either. Chelsea just changed their approach and mind. So in the case of Graham Potter, whereas this process, as far as the actual sacking, did begin very late after the Villa game, it was really only Sunday lunchtime onwards when everything became clear, everyone became unanimous, and Graham Potter was informed. So in that morning, there were lots of people at Chelsea, including senior decision makers, players, club staff, that were all preparing for Liverpool. And you know that because the players were shocked by the news, because the media department sent out the invite to Graham Potter's press release, and because sources were still saying he'll get Liverpool. But he didn't. And that is just the narrative. So obviously the core Chelsea leadership continued their discussions through Saturday morning into Saturday lunch. They got that unanimous position. And then from there, they informed Graham Potter in the early afternoon. And he took the news professionally from what I gather and agreed to this so-called smooth transition, which basically just means Bruno Salter will remain on as interim manager, at least for the Liverpool game. And on top of that, some of the coaching staff remain. And as I reported in the evening of Sunday, Carl McCauley for now will be one of them, Graham Potter's personal recruitment specialist. So there is that professionalism from Potter and also agreement to keep his coaching staff, or some of them anyway, in place. Obviously, Billy's gone as well with Potter to allow for this transition. And now we wait and see how long the transition is and where Chelsea go next. Yeah, and, and you've always said, right, it's at the time of recording when you're on with us, especially with Chelsea, it's always uh, important to note that things change so fast that we may be talking right now, it's almost midday here on Tuesday, but in a couple of hours by the time this episode comes out, things may be completely different when we when we get into the future and, and where we're headed. So I do appreciate you kind of painting the picture and, and identifying the timeline for us. Uh, in terms of compensation, so a lot's been said with how much Potter, uh, you know, he had a five-year contract and, and how much we would have had to pay him as a club. I think ultimately somewhere what's being reported is 13, 14 million. Uh, do you have any any um, thing else to add to that or is it around that much, which is what was negotiated between yeah, him and the club? basically as you've outlined and it means that Graham Potter has agreed effectively to a more preferential exit package. He could have made things a whole lot harder as far as Chelsea were concerned. So that, again, I think speaks to Potter's professionalism and it illustrates in many ways exactly the kind of character that he was. And like Potter or loathe Potter, what is abundantly clear is that the ownership group respected him and liked him as a person. And that's because when you get into these difficult positions, he's not trying to make things hard for the football club, which I think is ultimately 
again, an indicator and a very key one, in my opinion, as to why, as I constantly said, away from the football and we can go into the football and you can make lots of arguments against the football, of course, which is ultimately why Graham Potter went, because he didn't show any progress. But if we're taking the football away and looking at how he acted with this ownership group and how he tried to fit into the vision and the kind of personality that Graham Potter was, this is precisely why the owners wanted to give him as much time as they possibly could. And the compensation is a part of that. So in essence, Graham Potter will receive a regular severance, which means in basic terms, it's unrelated to the duration of the five-year contract. And that means that it will be lower than it would have been and could have been if Graham Potter wanted to try and leave with a pagan and he ended up leaving it inside a season and a year with a bad win record and Chelsea in the bottom half of the table. But I think there's almost a humbleness about him. And within that humbleness is the crux of the problem as well. You take the humbleness, you take the amicable side, you take the desire to be within a team and to have those relationships away from the football. And then when you leave or when you're dealing with a young player or when you're building a culture, it can all be very beneficial. And that's certainly been the case with the exit. It's smooth because of the type of professional Graham Potter is. But obviously in other aspects, that same niceness, if you like, and I'm sure Graham Potter would dispute a lot of this in terms of behind the scenes. I don't think that he would just swallow some of the things coming out of Chelsea that say that he was only too nice, that he lacked any real authority. But the job was a step up. And quite clearly, the dressing room in parts had an opinion that was not one of disrespect for him as a tactician, but maybe he didn't come with that same authority or autonomy with such a big squad compared to, say, Thomas Tuchel. So that's the kind of irony of the situation in all of this, that Graham Potter had to step up, had to adapt, had to manage a big dressing room, an impossible task in many ways. And one of the charges levelled at him is maybe he didn't quite have the authority to match Chelsea Football Club. And that was seen sometimes in press conferences, in decision-making, on the touchline with certain players. But that's one side. And we saw this with Tuchel as well. So let's wait and see whether Graham Potter has balance to that and his own stories that come out over the course of the next few days. But then in the case of then dealing with Chelsea and moving on, that same sort of personality trait actually is very helpful for this so-called smooth transition and in relation to the severance because Potter's not being greedy, he's not being acrimonious, he's not being difficult. And the reason why I make that point, even though it's a bit of a tangent from the question about severance, is not being difficult, not being acrimonious, not being egotistical. These are things maybe on the football side, that swagger that fans want to see, certainly with Tuchel, definitely with Mourinho. But again, the ownership group, as we start to talk about perhaps the new manager, will still be thinking about the same things, that there's not a lot on the football side anyone liked, but there's a lot about what Potter brought in terms of character and demeanour and how easy he was to work with on the strategic side that was valued, which is ultimately why he got the job in the first place. So there's kind of two sides to this. And if Chelsea could have somehow got the parts of Potter that they liked working with, with the parts of Tuchel on the football side when he developed a Chelsea side that won the Champions League then they would have had a win-win scenario. But unfortunately, that's a neat narrative. And it's very difficult to get everything that you want in football, which is why the next manager is going to be very interesting because are they going to go back towards that elite coach and maybe surrender on some of the other qualities and slow down that prioritisation for what's right for the model and only think about football? Or are they going to change and adapt a bit? and give more autonomy to a manager? Or are they still going to have the same brief? And if they do, the fit that they're looking for becomes maybe a little bit different. 
So there you have it, some insightful stuff from Ben. And Rahul, I think it's it's important to note that he's been very consistent with the things he's told us. And you can see how quickly things are evolving, not only with Chelsea, but with the managerial discussions. And I'm not sure where to go from there. So I'll pass it over to you to give some of your thoughts on on everything that's gone on in the last week, man. Look, it's it's been crazy. I think we opened with that. And from everything that Ben has shared, it tells you that the club have made decisions very quickly. The club have made decisions kind of on the fly in certain cases. Yes, you can say that they've been thoughtful in the sense that they didn't do it right after the game on, on Saturday. But between that game ending and Sunday coming around and even Sunday morning from what Ben shared was they weren't, I mean, internally, yes, they were having conversations, but they weren't really thinking of doing this. And suddenly in a couple of hours, it happens, right? So um, this constant conversation, constant change going on behind the scenes. And it sounds like this time around, it was Paul Wynn Stanley and Lauren Stewart who make the call. Uh, but Todd Boley and Ben Bali are still heavily involved. And in a way, it's good that they're letting the football, the soccer, however you want to call them, guys run uh, the, the the football side of it and let Boli and Iqbali handle the commercial side of it, but I I think it's just so we let him go, right? Or, okay, good decision, and I think everyone agrees. But now we brought in Bruno Saltor, and let's talk about him for a little bit because he comes in, and I think you heard the press conference on Monday. I want to I want to hear your thoughts on that first before we we go further. Yeah, listen, I think it's it's interesting to see that from my perspective, I didn't know a lot about him. And I think that's something that's very honest. And we've already said that. But they literally look into him as he's a Graham Potter man. There's nothing new. There's nothing different about that. The way he speaks, the way he carries himself, the comments he makes going as far as saying the boys gave everything. And Rahul, how many times have we said, I'm so tired of hearing the boys gave everything? Because we know. We know they're trying. It's just a matter of what can we do different. So... It's interesting because at the Liverpool game where he gets a chance to actually pick his starting 11, show the formation that he can do, bring his own authority and own stamp to it. I think I texted you and I told a bunch of other people. I was like, you know that word that Chelsea put out there in that statement of he will help, Graham Potter will help transition the club? Yeah, Graham Potter's in the dressing room. He's <laughs> making all these changes and he's making these decisions. Bruno's just on pit side to keep Chelsea fans happy. I'm only half kidding, but you can kind of see there wasn't really much change. And sure, maybe you need to give Bruno a little bit of time, but obviously that's not going to happen here. I, I agree with you. I think it goes back to it was a, a quick decision. They kind of scrambled and put a plan in place of, well, we'll have Bruno take over. And and you can hear it in that press conference. I mean, he's he seems like a very nice person. He seems like a nice guy, endearing. I'm sure the, the players like him. But it's similar to Graham Potter where it's like, he's nice and and we you know we're like oh he seems like a good person we could say the same thing about Graham Potter and and that's where my my issue is why keep one of his coaches on right it's the same it's basically the same thing you said it Graham Potter but in disguise I think you even said the invisibility cloak or or cloak or or coat <laughs> um right with Graham Potter behind the scenes just kind of pulling the strings um and Bruno seems like just uncomfortable. He doesn't seem like he wants the limelight. He's been thrown into a very difficult situation where the media, he's kind of the face of the club at this point. And he's like, last week I was in, he wasn't even thinking about being in this situation. So again, he seems like a nice person. I think he did a good job with the press conference. He was honest. He was calm. Um, but I... They should have just given him the, the Liverpool game and then made the decision, which was what we'll get into now with, with having a frank conversation. Uh, but Jackie, we watched the Liverpool game, and, and if you could review that real quick in your words, uh, the better team dropped points in Chelsea or Liverpool should have nicked it? No, I think we were the better team. And I think that may be the theme of most of Graham Potter's tenure, even when he's not here at Bruno Saltar's first game in charge. I think it's one of those things where you can take the goalkeeper out of the goal, you can put us right in front of it, you can put 11 of our players there, and 
for whatever reason, the ball's not going to go back in the net. And I think that's just the theme. Like I said earlier, it's difficult to understand why you've got hundreds of hundreds of millions of pounds and euros worth of players that in theory, they should be brilliant. And Rahul, you did a funny segment a few episodes ago, episodes ago where you see these guys in training banging in goals like it's it's second nature to them. But come game day, it never works. I mean, obviously, we're a talented team. There's no taking away from that. But overall, it's just a snooze fest, man. And I have to be honest with that. And I mean snooze fest in not that we didn't play some good football. We played some really good football at times. But the ultimate point of playing a football match is to get a couple of goals in there get the three points and we're hurting from Aston Villa to the point where we need a couple more points to just go up the table and you see us kind of slide down the table and you just go this isn't the way we want to see Chelsea play we want to see improvement and obviously that's why Graham Potter is no longer here and coming back to Bruno for just a quick second I don't want to pick on him because obviously he was very honest and he said this is a huge undertaking it's day by day and I'll figure it out but Come on, man. Do something a little different. Pick a different team. Pick a different 11. Be a little brave because everybody expected us to go out there and lose. But it is what it is. We were the better team. A draw is favorable on the night because we just couldn't score. Yeah, it was it was a mid-table clash. It was a clash of two heavyweights that have kind of fallen down and, and don't know how to fight, don't know how to punch. Um, and a nil-nil seems like a fair result, even though we created a lot of chances in, in a different night. And I'm sick of this phrase on a different night on a different day Chelsea go two up three up and and it's a whole different game because (laughs) imagine all the times we've said that and actually happened we would be in such a different spot Um, so again it comes down to like we said in the in the last episode episode it's a bigger issue than a manager it's a bigger issue than a coach it's we just I don't even know because they're scoring in training, right? So clearly they they feel good, they're confident coming into games, but that's 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 where I'll leave it. Um, but moving on from that, Jackie, while we're watching this game, we the, the camera turns over to the boxes and we see our, our beloved Frank Lampard sitting there. And don't think he's been to a game since he's been fired. Obviously he's been at Everton, but even then he hasn't he hasn't come by since then. Did you at that point seeing him there have any thought of hmm I wonder why he's here? Hindsight is 2020, right? And I think the difficult things about a midweek game Rahul is is I'm working, you're working, my mind's not 100% what's going on. It's going on in the background and you kind of catch a f- few highlights here and there and you pan over to Frank and I think for anybody who's a long-term listener, I think you know Frank Lampard is my favorite, all-time favorite player. He's the reason I love football. He's the reason I support Chelsea. So just a chance to see him back at Stamford Bridge is, is exciting to me. I'm like, Frank's there. That's great. But you look back at it in hindsight, 2020. He's like, am I thick? Am I daft? Did I not notice that we need a manager? There's a manager in the stadium that's without a job. Does this two go hand in hand? But no, I'm not thinking like that, right? Because... You're expecting the long-term project. They're going to interview people. They're going to see that Frank came off, unfortunately, a very bad spell with Everton where they were fighting relegation for the longest time. And you say, you know what? He's just here to catch Chelsea and have a good time and move on from there. But then I start thinking about it and he's in the box close to some of the leaders of Chelsea. And I'm like, Jackie, you must have been half asleep that day <laughs> when you're not paying attention to to what's going on there. So no, hindsight's twenty twenty. I did not expect this to happen, but it's what's happening now. It it is indeed, and and I th- I was kind of in a similar boat. I saw him there, and I'm like, well, it seems like there's no real manager, right? So obviously he's not going to show mm. up when Tuchel's there because he's the guy that replaced him. Right. He's not going to show up when Potter's there because he doesn't want to, I don't know, disrespect Potter or disrespect the club in the sense that, yeah, I lost my job at Everton. I'm just going to start showing up to games. Um, <laughs> but I think it was it was. An intentional move from the club to have him there mm-hmm. it was an intentional move for him to be there because from what we've heard now is obviously anyone listening to the episode knows, and I think by the time it even comes out, the episode, it will be official that Frank Lampard is going to be the interim manager uh, for the next two months or so, taking Chelsea uh, to the end of the season. But um, I think Lampard was there to watch this team, to watch the players. Right. And... I don't know, maybe certain players were picked or certain players were were played because they wanted to see 
what Frank Lampard thinks about them, what maybe even Luis Enrique, who had an interview at Chelsea this morning. Uh, so a lot of moving parts, right? But let's just stay focused on Frank. Um, I think you said not so successful at Everton. I kind of look at it differently because he went mm-hmm. in last year in January and they were fighting relegation. They were in a bad spot. He didn't have the best of starts, but he showed up and made sure that they survived. They survived, I think, right towards the end of the season. But I remember the scenes at Goodison Park when they beat Crystal Palace and Lampard's on the terrace and and pumping up the fans. <laughs> at that point, I don't know what more they could have expected from him because let's be mm. honest, I'm not an expert on, on Everton, right? But the, the club seemed to have financial issues. The club seemed to have issues mm. behind the scenes with with the owners and the boardroom. Sounds like I'm talking about Chelsea, but uh, talking about <laughs> Everton, right? And he stayed on into the summer, obviously started the season. And I don't think there were that many reinforcements that came in over the summer in, in terms of transfers. I think Onana sticks out to me. Uh, Mope sticks out to me. But I can't name too many others. Again, I'm not an Everton expert. but So basically, you took a relegation squad or team, survived, and added maybe two pieces to it. And sold your best player in Richarlison. And then you tell Frank, here you go, go go start a new season. So I don't think he was set up for success in the sense that coming into this season, they said, here are the tools, you helped us stay in the league, go fight for something higher. They basically just put him in a bad spot. And I think maybe at that point, he should have walked away. Like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. But any club that comes into January and is facing... Uh, relegation is going to look to change their manager. I mean, you look at that league right now and you look at the bottom, Southampton changed their manager, Leicester changed their manager. So I, I look at it a little bit differently and I say, I think Frank did the best he could with what was available to him. And it may just not be the right fit in the sense that he needs a little more time. I think he needs to go into a mid-table club and be given the time to kind of work his way up and up through the league. So coming to Chelsea, for me, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm obviously happy that he's coming back. I think it gives a lift to the fans. But I have a question for you because I, I think I've been speaking for a while. Um, is this like a PR stunt or a stunt from the owners and the club to say, look, guys, we messed up. Tuchel was a fan favorite. We replaced him with someone that we thought could do a job. We messed up. We made a mistake. And we need to give the fans a lift. We, even though we may not make the Champions League final, we may not win it. We may not even make it into the top 10. But Lampard being there suddenly changes the attitude and how we feel. So do you think this is just a stunt? Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a PR stunt, but it's also one of those things where you see the Scatagon approach coming back in, in an ugly form this time. And it's very hard for me to articulate my thoughts, right? Because I just told you a few minutes ago, Frank Lampard is my all-time favorite Chelsea player. I mean, it would be amazing to pick that man's brain for a few minutes and talk to him to see what makes him tick because you don't get 200-odd goals from midfield. And yes, the haters out there will tell you it's penalties, but Rahul, some of the goals he scored, some of the moments he gave us as Chelsea fans, I don't think a lot of Chelsea players can come even close. Yes, there are a few names, but a lot of them can't come close to what he did. So I look at it this way and I said, we had our dance with Frank and his first season was unbelievable. Brought in the youth, finished fourth, Aiden Hazard left. We had a transfer ban. You could say anything and everything that we expected, he surpassed. And so obviously that second season comes in, he was decent and then started to dwindle off. And of course, Chelsea do what Chelsea do. They don't give managers time back in the Roman era. And so you come forward, you fast forward now and you go, what are we doing, right? And I know you said the tools are different at Everton and the situation's different, but I'm almost wondering, right? Like playing devil's advocate, what's Frank going to come and do that Bruno's not going to do? Okay, there's going to be a new a new manager bounce, which I'm sure we're all excited for. And I'd love to see him do a few things and drag us up the table. But is it doing more hindrance than good, right? Frank's going to have his own style, his own way of playing football, and you're interviewing the likes of Luis Enrique, which is a completely different style. And you're interviewing the likes of Nagelsmann, who's a completely different style. So I look at it this way and you say that players are just going to go back and forth, get confused. I don't know. My The other opinion, which I said, is Chelsea should take time to find a manager, which I, I stand by. But even if you found that manager tomorrow, next week, three weeks, four weeks, 
why don't they come in and then look at this team almost like an early preseason because there's no expectation and say, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you because we all have a huge squad that you have to thin out versus now I can almost predict Frank is going to bring Mason Mount back into the team, which, by the way, I'm for that. But that's besides the point. It means a player that could have potentially been out the door is now back into the starting 11. And now another manager comes in 10 weeks and says, no, I don't really like Mason Mount and he needs to go. And it's like, where does Mason stand? Are we doing the right thing by these guys as well, right? So very, very conflicted thoughts. And I and I try to put myself in Frank's shoes. I'm like, Frank, why are you back? What are you going to bring to Chelsea? And maybe, you know, I, I'm stupid and he's got that heart of Chelsea blue and he says, I need to help my club in a difficult time and I will forever love him for that. Or maybe he says, they're far enough in the Champions League. It's a chance for me to go on a crazy run, focus there and pick up the Champions League. I don't, I don't know what comes out of this or it's a chance for him to rebuild stock. It's very, very confusing. There's a lot of thinking points. I'm not sure quite where I stand. I just know that Frank Lampard is my man and so I'm happy to see him on the managerial level. Remains to be seen what that's going to do for Chelsea. So you brought up a lot of points and I, I want to come back to them, but basically just from what you've said, you do think that this is the club in in a nutshell of course, there are other reasons, and we'll talk about them. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, saying we just need to give the fans a lift. We need to settle the ship. There's a lot of negativity, and you and I have covered that on many an episode, where negativity is a kind word, right? Rahul, it was toxic. Graham Potter, while I did not like him as a manager, received death threats. In what world is that okay, right? For managing a team and doing what I perceive was his best, because it did seem like he was doing his best. It just didn't work. And now he's going to be threatened to be killed. His kids are going to be killed. It got toxic. And that's the easy way to say that. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people have said, well, Paul Winstanley is his buddy. And they you know, they both came from Brighton. And why would he do that to him? He betrayed him. I kind of look at it like he put him out of his misery. Because everyone could see Potter was trying his best. And obviously the best wasn't good enough. But he wasn't, sure. he wasn't enjoying it. He wasn't feeling the joy of being in the game and, and being a manager or being a coach because, because, and I know I'm getting a little off topic, but because when you're enjoying it, it shows in your body language, it shows in your press conferences. Yeah. Right. So I think he kind of just looked at him and he said, I know what you can do, but it's not coming through and it's just better for both parties. And look, that's part of the reason I think he may have agreed to a lower compensation to kind of leave. Uh, and then the other mm-hmm. side, I think, they put Bruno in, but it's very obvious that Bruno is in the man. So I think they've just turned to Frank to say, come in, help us out, and let's see what happens. Obviously, I don't think he's going to get the job even if he wins the Champions League. But uh, I do agree with you. I think it looks a, a little bit like a stunt as well. But on the flip side, I think you brought up the point uh, that Enrique Nagelsmann, those are two top coaches and, and coaches that are currently out of a job but Nagelsmann is on a gardening leave, or as they say, still on the payroll for Bayern. So if we're to get him, we would have to pay something to Bayern. And I don't know if that changes in the summer, but I think it's smart from the club. Let's get over the stunt for a second and say, give ourselves some time. I think they fired Tuchel on a Tuesday and on a Wednesday, Potter was in. And so clearly there was something in the works. Right now, it's not the case. And so I think they want to give themselves some time. They obviously have interviewed Enrique so far. There's Nagelsmann in the play. There's Pochettino in the play. There's a couple of guys in Portugal that that are still in a job. So it allows them to head towards the end of the season and maybe interview with the club. So I think it's smart from that perspective. But I'd like to hear your thoughts in, in the sense that are we giving ourselves enough time here and saying, let's get the right person in. Let's interview. Because from what I've heard, Nagelsmann obviously knows Vivel and, and, and you know, he has some connections there. But Boli and Iqbali may be saying, we don't want someone young again. We've kind of gone through a path where we've brought an inexperienced coach and it hasn't worked out. We want to try something else. So do you think the club here is saying, let's just take a step back? Because, Jackie, the next person that comes in here as a full-time or a, a permanent coach has to work because we can't be here again in a year's time talking about, well, Frank Lampard's coming back as an interim coach. Listen, we can be here in a year's time again <laughs> if we're winning if we are winning trophies 
and getting the way we did things in the old regime, right? But the new regime came in, Rahul, and, and the point they made, and they were very clear about it, is we can't keep hiring and firing coaches. We need to go through a standardized process where we have a long-term project, right? And you look at it this way. They come in. Frank Lampard's going to be our fourth coach in the season. And I know I'm being a little bit funny because Bruno's interim and Frank's interim. But in reality, the players have had four coaches in one season. You must be looking at the, the likes of Reese James and, and Mason Mount and the guys who started the season. And they go, what's going on? Like we're used to having a coach every 18 months. We can get time to know them, build a style, win a couple of trophies. And of course, it fizzles out, which we all agreed was the problem under the old regime. But here we are. And it's like one season, four managers. One wants to play a back three, one wants to play a back four, one wants to play with 10 strikers. I don't know. The point I'm trying to make is that they should slow down. They should really try and get it right this time. And I know as Chelsea fans, we all have our opinions. Some screaming for Luis Enrique. You don't want Luis Enrique. Some screaming for Nagelsmann. Some don't want Nagelsmann. Just figure out what you want and how you're going to give time. And the most important thing it comes back to is what you said, right? We hired Frank Lampard for the optics, for the fans. Have a strong message ready for the fans when things don't go the way we planned. Because listen, things will not go the way we always planned because the Premier League is tough. It's the truth of the matter. It's not as easy as everybody thinks. And yes, Man City have made it look incredibly easy, but you're now talking about another level of coach, great investment year over year, and they've had a longer term project, right? So have something well planned before you go out and do this. So I'm okay with it. I just don't like getting Frank getting mixed up in this and maybe soiling his name further. But again, if he wins something and it works, I'll eat humble pie and I'll be celebrating the Champions League right <laughs> alongside with Frank Lampard. Uh, that's certainly an option. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see him and how he handles it. Because that, And then let's now touch on Frank Lampard and him coming back. So he spent about a year and a half at Chelsea's from 2019 to 2021. Majority of that, Jackie, I have to say, was without fans due to the, the pandemic. So in yeah. a way, it's nice for him to come back to a full Stamford Bridge uh, and have the opportunity because he did get us through the group stage of the, the season where we won the Champions League. He got us into the knockout stage. We were unbeaten and he obviously lost the job. So he did like half the work and then Tuchel took us to the end. Uh, so it'll be nice for him to come in and maybe be on the other side of that and take the ship to the end. We'll, we'll we'll see what happens there. But 84 games, 44 wins, 17 draws, 23 losses, a win percentage of 52, which uh, if we compare it to the past coach or manager, it looks good. Uh, but not such a good time at Everton. We've covered that. Do you think this is just an opportunity for Frank to come in and say, I have 10 games, 9 games in the Premier League, whatever you want to call it, to win the Champions League. I can show here what I can do as a coach. And if it doesn't go well, well, it was before me that really was the reason it didn't go well. But for me, I come in and pick up eight wins, seven wins, six wins out of 11, a couple of draws. It's not a bad way to kind of show the world that you can still do it if you have the right resources and right players. Listen, I think that's what I said early on in the segment is that he has nothing to lose at this point, right? Rahul is you're out of a job your team that you loved for many years calling and asking. There's an opportunity to win the Champions League, albeit super slim. But again, it goes back to my original point. You have absolutely nothing to lose. What are the chances Chelsea progress against Real Madrid with Bruno in charge? It's probably the same, if not lower, than if Frank Lampard's in charge, right? So for him, the odds are good for him to have a chance to maybe complete that Champions League run that he didn't get to do in the season he was fired. And yes, if you're not going to get a full-time job this season show some other mid-table clubs, and I'm not sure who they would be, maybe the likes of West Ham who might change managers, the likes of Leicester or Leeds who may change managers or looking for managers and say, we're not going to give you a 100, 200, 300 million budget, but we'll spend it on you in the summer, maybe 60, 70 million, get you two or three guys and help invest in you and grow us. And our expectations are completely different. We don't want you fighting relegation. Maybe it's a UEL or something like that, and you can kind of go from there. But I think that's all he can do. I have low expectations. I'm just pleased to see Frank back. But honestly, Rahul, we could go between now and the rest of the season playing the same way and nothing changes. And it would have been the same with Graham Potter. And ultimately, that's where it comes back to the argument, right? But yeah, I don't think he has much to lose. I, I don't. I mean, I do hear what you're saying about it would have been the same under Potter. But from what we've heard, 
I mean, he was getting called Harry Hogwarts behind the behind his back, and I think he had just lost some respect from from players. And it might not be all the players, right? But you're looking at a squad of 30, 34, 33 players. And the guys that aren't playing eventually are going to get toxic. So I'm, I'm, and I'm not pointing fingers or saying that someone like Ziyech, but you look at it and he was out the door on January 31st. He comes back in. He just has a very different attitude. He's like, I'm not going to be here past the summer. I'm going to be whatever I want to say, do whatever I want to do while still being a professional because the club's got to pay his wages. So I think it changes with Lampard because you look at it and we've bought a ton of young players. Most of them know Frank Lampard and what he achieved with the club. He's walking in. He's going to be your coach. Suddenly you're like, hold on a second. I I get to be training and and showing Frank Lampard what I can do. Uh, So I think it, it elevates and changes the way players respond. But there's a flip side to that is, well, this guy's only here for 11 games, you know? So what am I going to do here? The next guy is going to come in and, and evaluate and do things his own way. So that does concern me, but I'm hoping the senior players, and and I do have to say, I've seen Aspilicueta in the last two games yelling from the sidelines and kind of getting the players fired up as best as he can. So I'm hoping that Lampard can count on the likes of Aspie, Thiago, I'm going to say Reese and Mason too, even though they're younger, but they've been in this squad for now three, four seasons and say, let's just, let's just give it our all. Kind of like what Di Matteo did with the the Champions League run and, and, and getting there. But you, I think you have a word to say. No, I think it really comes back to the fact of people like Aspilicueta, right, Rahul? It's, it's a sign of what consistency can do to a football club, right? And I know we're navigating away from the Frank episode and for listeners who are going, why are these two guys all over the place? Because there's a lot of emotion that's going on with Chelsea, and I can't keep my mind straight between Potter's in, Potter's out, Bruno's in, <laughs> Bruno's out, Lamps in, Lamps out. Tuchel, Tuchel is now going to be replaced by a man that might become, I mean, Tuchel replaced a man that might be coming to manage Chelsea. It's a lot to kind of understand. So it shows you what consistency can do. Aspilicueta commands a dressing room because he's been there, done that, won everything. Thiago Silva is the same. You mentioned Reese and Mason. They've won the Champions League. They've been at the club for four years. You've changed managers four times. You've got a whole new sporting director team and recruitment team. You've got new owners. I think we change our physio staff as well or health medical staff as well. Everything is so different at Chelsea. And so, yes, Frank's going to have to lean on the people that he knows at the club, which is the likes of the players that are longtime servants. Kovacic was one that was under Frank or Frank signed him as well. So Conte is there as well. That's older and and knows how to, to do these things. And I'm sure he would work well with Frank. So... I'm optimistic that they will be positive and some of the new guys that are maybe frozen out by Potter Frank can see some value in them and integrate them and just go on a run, do something. Again, I know it sounds like I'm beating a, a dead horse, but there's nothing to lose for Frank. There's nothing to lose for Chelsea. Absolutely. And it's it's one of those where it has both sides, right? The positives and the negatives. But for Frank Lampard, I think coming in, he's got to give it his best shot. And he loves the club. If it it takes a very different person to say, yeah, I'll come back to the club that sacked me. I know it was under a different regime. I know it was a different time for him. For, but for him to say, you know what, Chelsea, even though you kind of derailed my career in the sense that I was kind of moving up and I took a huge step up because I loved the club, I'll come back and fix it. And and you got to respect him. You got to, you got to know that he loves the yeah. club deep down and he wants to see the club succeed. And, you never know, man. We've done it before. I personally don't think, and I hope he proves me wrong, but I don't think we go on and win the Champions League. It's just a different different time. It's not the same club where once you fix the on-field issues, everything everything just flows. Because the, you said it right. There's things in the background with so many changes, and, and we've seen it just in the past three, four days. It's a circus in at our club. It's a circus with the owners. It's a circus with... The players with what they've haven't been having to deal with, how many of them are there actually? Um, so it's just crazy, <laughs> but we've got to stay positive. And I think with with this stunt that we've called it, uh, based based on what the owners are doing, we just see how it goes. We have Wolves next, which I think would be his first game, and then it would be Real Madrid away. And what better way to kind of get started by getting some results and and getting yeah. the players to believe? So. Uh, let's just do a quick Wolves preview. If we if he does get announced tomorrow ahead of the Wolves game this weekend, 
would definitely shifting to a back four because I think that's what he favored. This is what makes it so hard to answer, right? When you change managers so often and coming from different things. I would hope that Frank has learned from some of his managerial time at Chelsea and going to Everton that you may shock the system by going to a back four and we are leaking goals under a back four, but he has to do what feels natural to him and what feels right to him, Raul. So maybe he goes to a back four and he can fit a couple more attacking players in with that style rather than one more center back. So for the purposes of this discussion and knowing Frank, maybe he goes for a back four. Yes, we go with that. All right, a back four. And Kai Havertz was one that didn't perform really under Lampard. I know it was early on in his Chelsea career. Some might argue he's still not performing. Uh, (laughs) But we've now seen Tuchel, Potter, I'm going to say Bruno as well, play Kai Havertz in that front Mm -hmm. two, front three. Does Frank Lampard continue to stick with him? Or Frank's going to say, you know what? I have a number nine. I'm going to give him a shot in Aubameyang. You know, I think he's going to stick with the players that have played the most recently. And while it may anger some Chelsea fans, I think that might be Kai Havertz for Wolves. He's been playing week in, week out in games. And I think bringing Obama Yang back from the cold, while I think is a good idea, maybe not for Wolves, maybe later on, maybe even after Madrid, while he finds his feet and gets a few minutes here and there. So I think Kai Havertz will find a way onto that pitch. All right. And then you already said Mason Mount plays. Jackie, we have to touch on N'Golo Kante because Mm -hmm. by far the Biggest positive of this week is Angolo Conte. He comes back against Villa from the bench. He starts against Liverpool, picks up man of the match against Liverpool for playing 68 minutes. He's one that we need to protect at all costs. I know we've been saying that about Reese James, and we do need to protect Reese too. But Angolo Conte makes such a big difference, not just in our midfield, but in our attack, in our defense. He might even make a difference in the goalkeeping department if if he had the <laughs> option. But uh, what do you do with him here? Do you continue to start him or do you kind of ease him back again with an eye on Madrid? Because ultimately, that's more of, a, more of an important game. Listen, I wish I was more flexible so I could reach down and get my foot and eat it. Because I remember when we were talking about renewing contracts, I said Ingolo is past 32, I think, if I'm not mistaken. He's always getting injured. Let's get a nice big payday. I think PSG were interested. I'll take 20, 30, 40 million and use that money to buy the new next young defensive midfielder. And he comes on and I look around this pitch and look, I have to be very honest. I think Enzo has been very good for the team. And he's probably one of the players that's shunned and been stand out. And of course, he's worth 100 million. We paid 100 million for him. And Angola comes onto the pitch and I was like, yeah, all of you guys are rubbish. Nobody on this team <laughs> can play football. And Enzo, that includes you. And you've been brilliant. And Mudrik, you're fast. But guess what? Kante is faster. And I think that tells you his desire, right? It's not... I think we make this joke about, like, you you can play in levels, right, Rahul? Some players can go from, hey, I'm not feeling so fit, so I'm going to play at 50%. Or I'm just coming back from injury. I'm going to play at 80% till I work my way in. Ingolo Kante has two speeds, and that's 0% and it's 100%. <laughs> 0% is when he's injured, and 100% is when I touch that green grass, I'm going. And so, again, I repeat, I must eat humble pie. I think he needs to play. I don't know if you play him 90 minutes all the time. Maybe let him get the job done in 45, 50, 60 minutes and then change him out for some of the other guys. But if he's fit, man, and we want to manage minutes, he needs to start games and be effective right from the get-go. I agree with you. I think we've got to pick the the strongest or close to the strongest 11 against Wolves and get a win just squeak something out here so that we have some belief going into midweek finally I just want to touch on the defense we've seen Fofana come back which I thought was a pleasant surprise because I hadn't really heard that he was he was back Uh, I think the other two in the Liverpool game while they were good and I say good very softly uh, while they were good I think they were nervous. They just, every time mm-hmm. they were touching the ball or something was happening, they just didn't seem in control. Um, given that Batashile isn't registered in the Champions League, do you give him a run out here with maybe a Fofana, if it, if it is a back four, or do you continue to play maybe a Koulibaly? I think Frank's going to opt for some experience, Rahul, and I know... If it's up to me and you, I think it's Badia Shiel and Fofana pairing all day down the middle because they are fantastic together. And Kudabali has been good, but not great. 
and Kukurea needs to go take some exotic vacation for a few <laughs> months and figure out what's going on. And and I mean that with with complete honesty and as, as a joke because we know there's a player in there, but it's a little bit inconsistent. But Frank's going to go for for seniority and maybe somebody to stable the ship. So maybe Kulabali and then Fofana in a back four. I I I think that's a fair fair shot. And while we were talking about that, I'm thinking about the final position in in this team, and that's goalkeeping. And I think we're very well aware of what Frank thinks of Kepa. So I wouldn't be surprised if Mendy magically is fit and ready to go, <laughs> because if it's between Kepa and playing someone who's not Mendy, I don't know if Lampard goes with Kepa, and, and maybe he does just because it's only eleven games or whatever. But what do you, what do you think of that? Is he has he matured in the sense that he's going to be like I'm going to put this behind us, Kepa, or? He's like, <laughs> no, I don't think I don't think Frank had anything personal with Kepa. I think we have to be honest, and Kepa was very poor in Frank's first season, and hence why we went out and bought a goalkeeper. And ultimately, whether you agree or not with Mendy's form, Mendy won us the Champions League or was a big part of winning the Champions League. So I, I think Frank's a good man manager. I think he knows how to communicate with people and say, look, the past is the past. We didn't have a good time together in my first season. But you've shown what you can do this season, Rahul. You may disagree and say Kappa still has his faults, but he is the only fit senior goalkeeper, at least that we're aware of. And so you don't rock the ship too much at that point. I'm I'm just gonna say while you were speaking, I looked up the status of Mendy. And three weeks ago there's an article that says Mendy returns to full Chelsea training. There you go. <laughs> so I think that's the perfect way to end this off. I know we've, like you said, we've been in all different directions, but hopefully there was some kind of structure because we did want to go back to Ben, where unfortunately we couldn't release the full episode, but cover the timeline, kind of get to where we are today, which is post-Liverpool, and very close to the announcement of Lampard coming back, which I think by the time you and I wake up here in the US, it will be announced which will be kind of fitting because the last time we spoke about Frank was in the morning after he was fired. So we've gone a full circle, uh, but it'll be great to see him on the, on that touchline. You know, the fans are going to be united singing and singing super Frankie Lampard. You and I will be singing that from our homes or if you're at the bar, uh, but it's something to believe in. Not sure where it goes, not sure what happens, but we'll see and, and take it day by day. And as Bruno says, we'll, we'll go day by day. Um, but any parting thoughts from you? As long as he doesn't say the boys gave it all at the end of the press conference, I, I'm okay with whatever the results and whatever the match looks like. But maybe a quick scoreline prediction before we wrap it up. Oh, boy. Lampard, Wolves. You know, we went to Wolves under Lampard, and I think we won like 4-0. Don't jinx uh, it. I'll, I'll happily take a 1-0, but I think 2-1. For a team that doesn't score, I'm being quite bold. I'm going for a one nail. Frank's going to shut shop and just nick a goal. And let's get back to winning ways, my friend. Let's friends. get back to winning ways. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on all podcast providers, Instagram and Twitter. It's at Premier Chels. Uh, we will be back with the Wolves review, a second coming of Lampard. Fingers crossed. I know it's not fully done, but fingers crossed. And then we'll look forward to Madrid. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. The Premier Chels has partnered with Fubo TV. Fubo TV is your home for live sports and TV without a cable in the US and Canada. You can watch on all your devices, which means you don't have to miss any of the actions or goals that Chelsea score in the Premier League and Champions League. You heard that right. Fubo TV Network's broadcast Premier League, Champions League, and many other leagues and tournaments. So what are you waiting for? Start your free trial today at fubotv.com forward slash TPC.